Hey, hey, everyone. Now I'm here with the first rendition of Lazarus Come Out, titled Come Out, John. I'm not one to title episodes, but titling this episode Come Out, John seemed unoriginal, seeing as the podcast name pending approval is Lazarus Come Out. The first layer of meaning I'm aiming for is an account of the new church year and the fact that it always uh, comes with the opening season of John. The second layer is an odd TikTok video that came up on my For You page about a year ago. It randomly popped up in my head as I was thinking of a name for the podcast. I hope uh, it paints a picture of a funny, not-so-funny state of our ever-declining world. So, an agnostic pastor, whatever those two words mean together claimed that Christ helped his friend, quote-unquote, come out of the closet. If you don't know what that term means, God bless your soul. This self-proclaimed pastor continues to read the gospel in the video and tries to tie in the fact of Lazarus resurrecting with a gay person coming out of the closet because of Christ's call to come out. Anyone who has seen it will be as quick to judge the content creator by laughing in disbelief or reporting him. I believe, however, after a much later time, after some time has passed, that the appropriate response that precedes the gray area of humor is for John to come out with his slogan, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is also profitable to remember the new year that most of us forgot a month in. Alright, repentance. So why was the slogan, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? The correct answer, I don't know. He could have used a different set or assortment of phrases, but his reference definitely fits into what Christ started with too. Oddly enough, Christ comes out of the desert and word for word reiterates that same phrase in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Quickly from our brothers and deacons uh, who add the phrase, or believing, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand during Kedasi. The liturgy book doesn't say that. John didn't say it. Christ didn't say it. So why are you saying it? Just say it how it is said. Which I know is very telling of my nitpicking, in a sense. Of course, the gospel is an immensely good thing to add. But it still doesn't say it's in the liturgy. And B, more importantly, listeners of this podcast are affirming by virtue of listening that we have no issue of intellectual belief in the gospel, but our issue is that of lacking uninterrupted repentance, uninterrupted pursuit of God. I believe there are two skeleton level, cellular level, foundational steps to repentance. Knowing what sin is, to know what you're changing from, and knowing who God is, the aim of the change, the repentance, the image of God we're returning to, and our call to subdue the earth appropriately with God. 
There might be more on a case by case, but it always really dumbs down to these two. What is sin? The Hebrew word hata and the Greek word hamartia, meaning missing the mark. The English word sin may not be tied with hata, which sounds a lot like hatiat, by the way. In various translations of the Bible, it is for some earlier ones. This term hata is implying that there is a mark, a goal, a vision. One way to think about it for the guys is missing the mark, quote unquote, when going number one. Imagine if we always missed the mark. The entire restaurant would be a mess. God help that woman who marries such a man. Missing the mark ain't going to get you kids. Missing the mark, not knowing the aim, won't get you anywhere career-wise. So many other scenarios can be applied to this framework. You miss the goal of a creative thing. It becomes unused. When left, when left in that state, then the thing is treated like a random useless object because that is what it becomes. A weird purchase from Home Depot sitting in our crowded garage. We are the first and only creation that God has created with the capacity to choose and fixate, pour into our vision into our perception of purpose with the consequences tied to fitting into or losing the pre-existing framework set by God. If the framework slash vision is lost and not restored quickly over time, you get abnormalities such as serial killers. You get serial liars. You get insanity, despair, etc. That is compounded hata or compounded sin. At this point, some of you may be thinking, Nahum, you is tripping. If I stub my toe against the wall unintentionally, is that a sin? How about I say, ah, word fillers during a conversation? Or unintentionally, insert blank. I've had a series of conversations with people that left me, quite frankly, annoyed because of the incessant asking of the recurring question, but is this a sin? But is this though? How about this? And I would say in the overarching definition of sin, which is hata, the answer is an unequivocal yes. But the question that people are asking relating to sin is actually in the specific categories of sin like iniquity or transgression, which is what we confuse as sin in general. Also because English word Sin doesn't always mean hata in the biblical translations. The fact is, in the primordial meaning of hata in biblical literature, it is always referring to what we currently refer to as mistake. Though loosely, because of the connotations our societal culture attaches to the term mistake. Back to the pre-existing framework, what is this framework and how does it work? Let's see what a priest of the Oriental Church says. When God wanted to create fish, he spoke to the sea. When God wanted to create trees, he spoke to the earth. But when God wanted to create man, he turned to himself. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. If you take a fish out of the water, it will die. And when you remove a tree from the earth, it will also die. Likewise, when man is removed from God, he dies. In this, the priest highlights the mark is God. 
or his image in us or a more fuller understanding, our communion with God, our source of life. Okay, communion has been a term we look at as antagonistic. So let's use a close alternative. The mark is our marital relationship with God. Let's use the marriage analogy real quick. Marriage is a pre-existing framework that is set by someone else. If I want to get married, it is not, not about the wedding. I am playing a game that has pillars I didn't forge. And by game, I'm referring to the fact that it has a lot of moving parts. At the same time, marriage is not dogmatically the same for everyone. I get, I get to move in. I get to decorate. I get to make it my own. Meaning, within the framework, there is wiggle room. However, that wiggle room can't affect the marriage commitment and stability. This paradox reminds me of what Orthodox theologian Father Thomas Hopko says, Orthodoxy is paradoxy. For to gain your life, you have to lose it. With that said, a sin we commit regarding our perception of repentance needs to be mentioned. We sometimes make our relationship with God about ourselves, which is why we are so adamantly, vehemently against returning to God, some of us. We don't want to come back to God because it affects the way we live our perceived lives. We assume that God did not create the universe. We even avoid thinking about that fact because the moment that we accepted the fact that God created the universe, therefore everything that he tells us to do is the way to go. I lied. We actually most times make our relationship with God about ourselves, about how it affects our lives, makes it inconvenient, whatever that means. We make sin and repentance into this gruesome and peaceless process filled with scrupulous nitpicking. In some of the current religious landscape, some people of the current religious landscape aren't very helpful because being religious has mostly been associated with being judgmental. Being faithful to God is representing hypocrisy in our own life while being hypervigilant in others. I say this to myself first. We have to lose our life to gain it. Meaning, whatever it is you're thinking is your life. Whatever you have quote-unquote figured out about your day-to-day life, escaping the matrix, whatever, is completely useless and is the epitome of foolishness in contrast to the wisdom and guidance of God. The pre-existing framework paradigm is set in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And then by Christ, when he came, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, in which he said, If anyone seeks to follow me, by which he doesn't force anyone, he's giving us the lordship over our own free will. Let him deny himself, carry his cross, and follow me, is what Christ says. Because we are an icon of God, who is living, ever-existing, in Christ, you find your only role model, the God-man, the new Adam, according to St. Paul, who has shown us clearly how to live, both the joy and suffering, in wedding party slash parties, we don't know, in Galilee, 
and his time in prayer and his crucifixion. Spending some nights keeping vigil and praying without sleeping and other days sleeping during the day. Christ did not move in a way where he imposed like cults today, but giving us a choice as St. John Chrysostom so eloquently points out in his homily. This is one of the reasons why most are attracted to God and seek him because he's not a helicopter dad, even though he sees all and he reprimands according to his love, as St. Paul says in his epistle to the Hebrews. He chastens, he admonishes, he reprimands those that he loves. He's not one, however, to shove Bible verses down our throats or early church father canons, but reveals himself artfully in his lively wisdom, calling us to a path that is a cakewalk, but not a cakewalk. Embracing the cross and following him while being heavy laden to rest in him. And to sin is to accept that God somehow doesn't know better. And in seeking better for ourselves, we don't find it. I mean, he created the heaven and earth. Not the church, the parking lot, some of the famous pastor's cars. Our entire existence is wholly in all ways dependent on him. Everything. And the church he instituted is a path to unite humanity. Not only a physical, a physical building. Now we can go into specific categories of sin. As we mentioned earlier, transgression and iniquity. But it's best for a concise understanding of sin to listen to Father Thomas Hopko, the former dean of St. Vladimir's Orthodox Seminary. His lecture on what sin is from the early Christian understanding, which is found on YouTube. And this early Christian understanding is referencing the first two centuries of Christianity and how that is maintained in the Orthodox faith and how the Orthodox Church maintains a therapeutic approach toward healing in which it's a balance of the patient and the ultimate physician Christ rather than a legalistic approach to repenting of sin, which is I just got to stop what I'm doing because all the power is with me. That is the basis of this episode. With that said, what is repentance? The OG Greek comes in with a compound word, metonia, metanoia, metonia in Coptic. Meta, not Facebook or Instagram, refers to change, reorientation, redirection, difference in outlook. And then noia is a conjugation of the word nous, which is very loosely described as mind. St. John of Damascus, who, by the way, we thank for the beautiful icons preserved in the Orthodox tradition and is on the Ethiopian Synaxarium daily remembrance of saints, says, as the eyes are to the body, the noose is to the soul. Together, metanoia is change of mind. Why change the mind? And what to? Toward light, as we commonly sing, or toward life. As we also sing,
whose symbolism we will discuss a little later. This brings about, I, how do we do this? How to repent? The major technique by church fathers, early Christians, to repent is to humbly watch, be aware of your thoughts that you accept, and self-examine where you are. And prayer, inviting the grace of God and replacing our thoughts with thoughts of those righteous men who have aligned themselves with God, or ultimately aligning our thoughts with that of Christ, as St. Paul says, to make every thought captive to Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. These, are, these techniques are analogous to the first two steps mentioned earlier, to be aware, to know the sins, and cultivate knowledge of God through speaking to Him as those before you communicated and were illumined by God. In the simplest of terms, do not go on autopilot when you're an Orthodox Christian. Snap out of it. Because the scope of this is huge. While it is really always as simple as the more you approach God truly seeking Him, the more He will reveal to you as David the psalmist says, Approach him and he shall illumine you. Psalm 33, parentheses 34, verse 10. Why repent? Answer is, return. It's to return to the image of God. That we don't end up useless like that purchase from Home Depot left in that garage through our own choice. So, repentance is great. Why confess then? Why examine ourselves? Because the knowledge of sin is not to be a judge for others. We're not reading up on what sin is. We're not reading the scriptures. We're not reading the church fathers so that we can find ways to correct those around us. But rather to help shape our mind Okay, we're repenting into confession while repenting again. Okay, so we're shaping our mind to become proper judges for ourselves and have a proper and to have proper relationship with God, we have to know who God is. We have to go against what we have seen in the reels and in the Instagram reels of Mike Todd and the reels of Various other speakers like Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes. Not that everything that they say is wrong, but to understand the fullness of who Christ is, the fullness of what Christ told us is the nature of God and how it is he intends for us to live. We have to go back to what Christ said, what his followers said, and what his followers' followers said. And it becomes a lot like in math, if you guys are good in math, where you are like an asymptote. You make yourself into an asymptote. Obviously, you will not be God. You will not be as perfect as God without God. Period. But if you take in information, okay, if you pray to God, ask for His grace, ask for His guidance, and truly seek Him 
in that process, you become like an asymptote with an axis wherein you get really, really, really close, as St. Basil says, to what God intends you to be. Or even become what God intends you to be through His grace and through you pursuing the right thoughts and the right mindsets that guides you to God. As St. Paul said to the Corinthians, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. In the 11th chapter, verse 31. St. John Chrysostom elaborates saying, St. Paul did not say if we punished ourselves, but only if we were prepared to recognize our offense, to judge ourselves truly, to condemn our wrongdoing, then we should be rid of the punishment of both in this world and in the next. Again, simply put, so far, we understand what we got to do. We have to repent. We have to come back to God. And for most of us, this is pretty apparent. We may have discussed the minutia, the small aspects of what it means to return to God. But we have to examine why we don't do it. And that brings us to Mesca, which is ironically right after the season of the week of John, we come into Christ crucified or the finding of the Holy Cross by Helena, which again is not a coincidence that it's happening right after we commemorate John. Maskad is a symbol of both death, of stigma, of embarrassment, humiliation, but a precursor to resurrection. All right. A question maybe maybe if it's so simple, now why is it so hard? Why is examining ourselves hard? Sometimes even our former lives while sick in our mistakes was better because we didn't have to ruffle feathers like this. Utterly confused on which way is up. This is where the marriage wiggle room comes in. If anyone desires to come after me, Christ says, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And St. John Chrysostom elaborates again saying, Note that he does not say, you must suffer whether you will it or not for me. Rather, he says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is as if to say, I force no one, I compel no one, but each one I make Lord of his own choice. So I say, if anyone will. Meaningless suffering is the constant of life. But when you embrace that suffering, it turns it into some, something else. Because that is the new paradigm set by Christ to his followers. This is a recurrent pattern in reality. Which is why the posted video of Jordan Peterson on the account signifies, even in the psychological, psych, psychiatric world, you must pick up your cross. You must confront that which terrifies you in your life. And for some of us, it may be the same. For others, it may be completely different. With, and you have to lose what you think your life is. You, have, you will have no life after if you don't lose what you think your life is now. Whether next year or five years, and importantly, after death. 
whatever life you think you have is smoke. To use a term in Ecclesiastes. We have to let go of our perception of what life is for us to attain the true source of our life, which is God. Then why did John say about repentance that it is necessary? Obviously, he kept mentioning it while also pointing out worthy fruits of repentance. Which brings me to the thought of the season of repentance, then maskal, then tzigeh. Right? So let's think of the season so far. Repentance, maskal, which in the time of Jesus, even when he said, pick up your cross and follow me, this is before he was crucified. This is before he, he was uh, resurrected. Right? We celebrate maskal so vibrantly now. But think about how embarrassing it was back then. People spat in his face, bro. Like, I, when was the last time someone spat in your face? Like, think about that. And in the time of Jesus, it's the most embarrassing. In the, time, in the time of Christ, it's the most embarrassing way to go. Most stigmatized thing ever. And then we come to this era of tzigi. Okay, this zaman uh, tzigi. It's like the Father is saying, through the rhythm we're following, truly repent, change your mind every single time throughout your life because it is hard as a cross and you are definitely going in for your death. Okay, your life, as you know it, is probably gone when you are repenting, when you seek true repentance. But that is always going to lead into a beautiful resurrection, a beautiful flower in the garden of God. Okay, out of that suffering comes joy. The same way with uh, our, our Lady Virgin Mary. She's obviously leaving her home uh, place, right? the place that she grew up and lived in, with Christ to Egypt. But that is a bittersweet moment, a joyous occasion, because not only is she with Christ, she is... Following the will of God, even though that is not at her core what she wants. She doesn't want to live her, leave her place, her place of living. But she still does. She still lets go of what her life could have been while staying in that temple. Rather, she says so faithfully, May it be to me as you have said. Giving the wheel, I guess, to, for, for a more colloquial term, giving the wheel to Jesus, giving the wheel to Christ. And this is so worth it. And this reminds me of a mazmur. Shout out to my dear brother, Yonatan. So the, the, the aroma of the, of the saints is like beautiful flowers. Okay, and, and that, that flower comes forth from this, this maskal. Okay, each one of the saints, any saint that we commemorate, any Christian uh, worth his soil, any follower of Christ, 
is by definition a flower after their death or even as they were living because they had to let go of what their life could have been and made their life about God and through that they became a flower okay and their aroma is what guides us to them okay their their suffering changed into the beautiful scent of a flower is what attracts us to them listeners of, of this podcast or other followers of Christianity uh, other followers of Christ and John Chrysostom further proves this by saying we give up for Christ, or rather for our own sake, that we may gain both lives, our life here and our life there. The emphasis is that the pursuit of returning to God is rewarded here too with joy, with peace, with love, with hope, hopefulness. Even though working and pursuing is always the job of man, God gives the increase and sometimes inspires a person to change but never overrides a person's free will. Okay? And so the role of God, we understand, is mystical. Okay? And then that's, again, what, what comes into our understanding of the mysteries. Okay? What we call sacraments, but are technically, technically mysteries of the church, uh, that the church uh, practices, are windows of the grace of God. The confession. The repentance, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, are ways for Christ, for God to work in us. Okay, and and this is really not not just in, in a symbolic uh, way, but really because the symbolism, any symbolism within the Orthodox faith, is pointing back to an actual reality. Okay, it's not just oh, this sounds nice because it means this or means that. It's all a unified narrative. Okay, if you go to the Protestant church, oh yeah, symbolism, great, nice. No, but in the Orthodox faith, it's the symbolism is actually pointing to order reality. The same way that when I'm speaking to you with the words that I'm saying, if I say random words jumbled up in weird orders, it's not going to make sense. And the words used are actually symbols of internal thoughts that are going on within me. Okay, and the words that we read are words that invoke internal thoughts. But then the, those words being in the order that they are, okay, those uh, symbols being in the, in the way that they are, invoke within me a pathway to follow. Okay, and that's what the symbolism in orthodoxy is. Bringing it back the same way, the mysteries are windows for our connection to God. Okay, and, and there's no other way to think about it. You cannot think about it in a weird ritualistic, we have to repeat this every time we do it. We have to just keep doing it for the sake of doing it. That is the worst way to think about it. Because it is going to make you think that you can work out your salvation on your own, which you can never. And this is one thing that the Protestants and the Orthodox have vaguely similar is that we wholeheartedly believe that we're saved by God. But the difference is we have to open ourselves up. And to open ourselves up for God to work in us, we have to give our will to God. And that giving our will to God is facilitated by our works, facilitated by 
putting our money where our mouth is. Because whether we like it or not, God has given us a will. And to deny that is illogical, unreal, outside of reality. And we see that again even in the 318 fathers. All the early fathers knew that heaven isn't guaranteed. Repentance is necessary. Even though all of them devoted their lives to Christ and making his name known, none of them dared to proclaim in the creed that they are guaranteed salvation, but that they hope in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. We hope. While being in a repent, repentant state, while, being, while seeking God, we hope. Okay, we, we change our thoughts so that God can work in us. So in kindergarten terms, it's change. We have to change because we missed God. Okay? We, we keep miss, missing God. We keep, we keep moving away from our source of life. But, so we have to change. It's hard first. It is very hard. But so, so, so beautiful in the end. In which you fully realize your belovedness. And with that, may the Lord, the King of Peace, grant us his peace and the remembrance of turning back to him in metanoia. So that through hardship, we make it into the beautiful and glorious end of resurrection, both in our time and the next. Make sure to leave comments or questions through our Instagram. Have a blessed season of John. We'll come back with another episode next season.